Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the race wars, but before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we talk about games, and we also talk about racing, and we also talk about Johnny, Johnny Tran, and it's like... His, like, biker squad of Uzi shooting, like, Chinese street racers. We're talking the Fast and the Furious, the original, the bona fide classic, 2001's Fast, the Fast and the Furious. And, lest you think I was making a cheap joke, they actually called the big race at the end, Race Wars, which I can't believe was a thing in 2001. Yep. Um, this is... I it thought occurred to me. This came out in like June of two thousand one. This is probably a lot of people's like last summer blockbuster they saw before like the towers fell. Um, like like it's like an end cap of like you know like the nineties, right? Like um, yep. or that era. Yeah, it's it's funny to think that race wars has such a connotation now, right? Because of yeah. like politics and like the rise of like white supremacist far right whatever. Whereas before. <laughs> It was just a, it was just a bunch of street races from LA racing in the desert. <laughs> yeah, I mean so that's it's interesting. It definitely has raised in political salience, but I, I would contend that that's less because of particular events um, in our times and more this kind of like that golden period of the '90s, you know, um, the end of history type of stuff. Which yep. um, I would be uh, I would be mis uh, I would I would be lax if I didn't mention that a lot of people overinterpret or misinterpret what Francis Fukuyama was saying during that um but like there was the 90s were definitely a golden age this is kind of like the end cap of it um yeah so yeah we're going to talk about it something that struck me incredibly strongly as I'm watching it is this movie reminds me a lot of hackers have you seen hackers <laughs> buddy yeah I saw hackers in college um but I haven't I haven't seen it any time, like, recently. What, what, made it, what made you think about it in Hackers? By the way, hello, Charles in the chat. I see a good friend of the cast, Charles, is, is tuning in. Do you have a corona? Are you coming to the family yeah. barbecue, bud? <laughs> so this reminded me of Hackers specifically because it's, like, this very – it's, like, this niche hobbyist movie that – Probably doesn't look a lot like the actual niche hobbyist, like the actual niche hobby. And there's like, it's not like super strong parallels in terms of plot structure, but there are parallels in terms of like characters, right? It's got that very kind of like, like if Hackers is like very solidly like 90s, um, I think the Fast and Furious is also very solidly 90s despite being at the end of it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like down, like Jesse is the, the spiritual equivalent of um, Matthew Lillard's character in Hackers. Um, like, and there's a lot of, a lot of stuff kind of in that, like, you know, like Dom's character and, is, is, and love interest are both assumed or, you know, are both Angelina Jolie and hackers. Right. And there's, you know, there's some difference between, um, uh, between, uh, Brian and, uh, and what, I can't remember the name of the main character in hackers, but like, I think there's a lot of parallels and I think we need to do an episode on hackers at some point. Okay, um, I'm I'm down to do an episode on hackers. It's funny because like the parallel that everybody makes to this is Point Break, right? Because this is essentially the same plot structure as Point Break, which is another movie that I've watched recently. Obviously featuring Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze, but centered around surfing and sort of surf culture rather than um, racing and sort of um, and sort of street culture. And I do think that, that is also, really apt. 
also versus hacking and hacker culture, which is like I think the parallel, right? I haven't seen yeah. Point Break, so that's probably why I'm not drawing that. Uh, Point Break, I Point Break is the better movie, and I it, it pains me to say that, right? But at the end of the day, the thing about Point Break that that really kills it and really works is that Johnny Utah, who is Keanu Reeves' character in Point Break, he legitimately loves surfing, right? And he legitimately finds himself by going undercover. And um, and kind of integrating with Bodie's uh, with Bodie's crew as they're as they're surfing, right? Like his story is that he's like an athlete or something. He's he's an athlete. He got injured, you know, in his senior year or whatever, and then he becomes an he becomes an FBI agent, right? Um, and the thing that and the thing that he realizes that Johnny Utah realizes is that the sort of spirituality that Bodie is talking about in surfing really does connect with him, and it is that bond that makes it so that at you know the pivotal point in the movie where Johnny Utah is chasing Bodie because he's just robbed a bank or whatever, where Johnny can't bring himself to shoot his best friend, right? Um, I do think that that comes across here, and but it, it is not as strong an arc, right? Like I do get that Paul Walker and Vin Diesel sort of uh, have that, like have that friendship and they have that love for each other, right? Um, but it's just like Brian himself is not he doesn't come as far as Johnny Utah does because Johnny Utah is a legitimately like he is a damaged character who becomes whole, and that's the tension and drama of going undercover. Brian. He just kind of wants to solve the case, and he gets swept up in the race, right? Um, so that that or or bang Mia, right? Like that's like that that's like that like you know there, there's like a, a very fridge momenty type like moment where it's like you know he really didn't need to hit on Mia at like the the freaking like <laughs> weird like bar I guess is what she's like the the bar that disappears it's, uh, in the movie. It's a deli. Is it? Is I, I, so funnily, so there's there's a ton of things I want to call out in this movie that are just LA specific things. That bar in LA, I used to drive home. I used to drive past it every day before I even knew. Before I was even a Fast and Furious guy, right? Like I, I would just drive because it was uh, it was a really convenient back route that I could take to skip around traffic on my commute. Um, and it is in fact right down the street from the eponymous Fast and Furious house where they have the family barbecue, right? Like uh, we when we went to the Fast and Furious house, I was like, oh god. God, this is the bar, right? This is the, or it's it is it is literally just like a market. It's called like somebody's, you know, somebody's market, right? Um, so it's just like a little kind of convenience store slash deli, deli thing in Angelino Heights. Yep, I mean, and I'm sure if you went and asked them how the tuna was, they would roll their eyes at you and be very angry. I have to do that now. Fuck, I don't even like tuna, but you're so right. God, I have to do that. Yeah, there's other LA stuff, right? Like the very first racing scene takes takes place literally down the street from my house one block that this direction is <laughs> where that sort of intersection is because you can see that there's like a big hangar there that's that's the, that hangar is the hawthorne airport and one of my favorite little details is that um <laughs> you can see the street sign and the street sign is 120th street right that is the that is the street that they are racing on for the duration of the very first race that they go on right but then the cops show up and the cops chase them down. The first detail that is buck wild is on the police scanner. They say that there's been a homicide in Glendale and that is pulling all of the police. Glendale is 30 miles from Hawthorne. It is literally a 45 minute drive, right? It is the distance between Hawthorne and Glendale is the distance between Washington, D.C. and Baltimore, right? 
So the idea that a murder in Glendale is occupying all of the the police in Los Angeles. By the way, Glendale is its own city that I'm I believe has its, its own, own police, police force. force. Yeah, yeah, that is ridiculous. Hawthorne also, by the way, its own city with its own police force, right? And then the other thing that happens is, um, you know, Dom Dom drives away. And he drives up into that into that little parking structure. You can see a street sign in that parking structure, which is Seventh Street, right? Well, those streets are related. Like 120th Street and Seventh Street are related streets. So he drove 113 blocks to dodge the cops, and Brian happened to follow him every step of the way. And uh, yeah, and then they later end up uh, at Johnny Tran's place. That that big. Korean market. I think it's called, it's like TK market or something. That's also a famous location in Anaheim, which is also 25 miles away from where they are. So it's a lot of that, you know, like jumping all around Los Angeles. Yeah. I mean, that's, it is. So it's, I would say that this movie is not exactly a Los Angeles movie in that, like it wants to live and breathe it. Right. Like, like, it doesn't want you to look at it and be like, the, this geography doesn't make sense if you know Los Angeles, right? Yeah. Like, very similar to But it like, is very much a Los Angeles movie you know, in the sense that, like, it wants to... It, it has the feel of Los Angeles, I feel like, in the same way that we might say right. something like... I don't know, what's a good New York movie? Any of these, like, Woody Allen movies. Or, right, like, Seinfeld, so, right? Like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, exactly, right? Like, where it captures kind of the spirit of, of right. L.A. One of the things that I think... Um, one of the things that really powered the Fast and the Furious to success in general was how diverse the cast was, right? Um, you know, obviously both Brian and Vin Diesel are white, though Vin Diesel's like kind of vaguely ethnic. I don't think anybody knows necessarily what, what, what ethnicity he is, right? Um, but you know, you've got, you've got, uh, the, it's this multicultural blend that I think is a very LA thing that happens in the Fast and the Furious movies. And it's one of those things that like, if when people wonder why these are billion dollar movies, it's that, you know, like it's that reason, right? Um, because if you grew, you know, if you grew up here in like South Central or whatever, that actually looks a lot like your friend group, which is going to have, you know, whatever, a bunch of different. And, and that's something that I think now we think about in very explicit terms in the culture, but in 2001, I don't think anybody would have made that argument, right? Um, the idea that, like, oh, actually, one of the reasons why The Fast and the Furious is so cool is because it, you know, it is it is so diverse. Yeah, I mean, like, like I, I think that, like, people, like, it, that, that was kind of the era of, like, you know, this is normalized and we don't really need to pay attention to it anymore. Um, yeah. Also a thing that it shares with Hackers. Hackers has, like, a very diverse cast. The main cast, less so, but, like, you know, Lord Nikon is an African-American dude. Um, uh, and, and and similar. Um, again, yeah. we, we, we have to watch. And the villain, Fisher Stevens, played an Indian man. Um, he, <laughs> the, he famously played... He is, he is a white dude, but he famously played the scientist in um, Short Circuit. Um which is like the only things I know him from is hackers and his short circuit. But anyway, getting back to the to to the topic at hand, um, so uh, you 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 know are going to be our window into the later series because like you know I am familiar with the memes and I have seen this mm. movie a couple of times. I have, I don't think I've seen any of the rest of the Fast and the Furious movies. Oh my um, god, what a treat this is going to be! Yeah, so the I think the greatest success of the Fast and the Furious is it's, is actually its world building, right? Um, which is to say that like the 
the actual plot, the actual mechanics of most of this stuff really doesn't matter and really does not, you know, come in on, like like later down the line, right? Um, but there's a lot of elements to the world building here that do. Those are the important pieces, right? Thankfully, no one has ever mentioned Race Wars again, but basically everything else that gets established about, about the world of the Fast and the Furious in this movie comes back later down the line, right? Um, you know, Dominic's brother, who it gets mentioned in the backstory, shows up... I, uh, is that a spoiler? Can I... Sh it's obvious, like, it's in the trailers. It's, he shows up in Fast and Furious 9. This is part of what makes Fast and Furious 9 a thing, right? Is that Dominic's brother sort of uh, shows up. And you see the thing that, that turned Dominic into a criminal in the first place, right? Like, he talks about going to Lompoc, um, which is like the, you know, it's like Rikers, but for LA. That, that the murder takes place in a flashback in F9. Or it's not a murder. It's a vicious beating. He, like, beats the shit out of a guy with a, you know, whatever, with a wrench. Um... Tons of details about about the world building, about like the FBI's interest in street racers, about Brian O'Connor as a you know like as a specifically gifted street racer, which is why he is able to do like to live on this level, right, with everybody else. That also all that stuff comes back. Obviously, the family barbecue is a huge deal, which ends up capstoning basically every movie, except like maybe from six on. Seven on just like at, at some point they come back to sort of LA and at the end of the movie you end on the family barbecue right um uh the the specific details of the cars right um you know it's funny because in the very first race of the movie Dom is driving like a Toyota you know something right and one of the things that defines the series is that Dom loves muscle cars and Brian loves imports, right? He likes he likes zippy Japanese uh, j zippy Japanese imports. And the final race in the movie takes place with Dom with that huge, you know, whatever Dodge with the with the big Hemi as they're going over the you know as they're going over like the train tracks. And Brian obviously in his you know um, in his uh, whatever it is like Mitsubishi something, right? Like that that is a detail that remains throughout the rest of the movies. The Coronas are a detail. I you know like I reference that line all the time because I think it's hilarious. Where he's like, you can have any, any brew you want as long as it's a Corona. They are always drinking Coronas, <laughs> like even in Brazil because the fifth movie takes place in Brazil. They're drinking Coronas in Brazil, right? Um, and just all of that stuff. I feel like uh, kind of coalesces into this into this like goofy but very sincere world with like a lot of like heart right um so yeah yeah no, i mean that's interesting because like i'm that's pretty clearly product placement right like the corona there's a snapple the mm -hmm. fucking nos it's like i need nos and there's like 72 nos stickers in like the room that he's that he's standing in. it's like hmm i wonder i wonder who's paying for this movie type of deal right like all that sort of all that sort of stuff um but you said you said his brother was mentioned in the first movie. I must I must have missed that. I thought I thought the car was built with his dad. And the car is built with his dad, but he mentions his brother. I oh, got it. I wish I remembered the specific detail. He just he, when he's talking about when he's talking sure. about the backstory, he mentions his brother, and that brother shows up right. Um, like I think maybe he says it when he he talks about going to prison. He's mm -hmm. like I you know like I left me I left my brother, you know 
whatever, right? Like that, it's, it's something like that. But like, it is that's the thing that makes that, that makes these movies so crazy is because like they pay so much attention to this continuity, right? The whole thing where the whole thing where Brian owes Dom a ten second car, um, and the fact that they have this sort of like who wins, who you know, like who wins the race. Thing. This shows up movie after movie after movie, right? That's actually not, not true because in two and three, they're like the gang isn't together. But in in four uh, and five, the idea of we don't really know, excuse me, we don't really know who is the the faster racer between Dom and Brian is like a running gag right um the credits you know like the credits on the fifth movie roll over dom and brian are just at at this house and you know like the the you know, like the girlfriends are playing on the beach or something like that and and dom says and brian says i know you cheated no 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 he says like i know you let me win the last one um and and Dom goes, oh yeah, like do you want, do you want a real race? And he's like, yeah, no money, no no pink slips, right? Just like honor, right? <laughs> like, and then the credits roll over them, the two of them racing, and there's no end to that race, right? Like you don't, you still don't know who wins, and it is really that like that bond and that chemistry that is the oh god, <laughs> I love these movies so much. Makes sense. I do want to shout out to, to, to Lou because I didn't realize pe- people even remembered Hackers. Hackers is great, and if I'm going to make you watch Hackers at some point, I'll also make you watch SLC Punk, which is another excellent movie that stars Matthew Lynn, which is the only real tie-in I have here. But yes, um, uh, so all these details. The thing I wanted to bring up off of that is, um, like, the family theme is obviously here, but it's not here out of, like, Vin Diesel's mouth as much, right? Like, I feel like, you know, the points hammered home actually by, like, Brian's boss, right? The the cop boss, who's, I think, was a, was a pretty good character, right? Like, I, I think that character has a lot of impact and depth for how little he appears in the movie, right? Like, the, the FBI guy is just kind of like, whatever, he's just kind of like a force to... The, 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 yeah, the police captain, he, ha- he has a really great, uh, like, voice. He has, like, a really great timbre to his voice, um, which which I really enjoy. Uh, just, like, the way he talks is, like, very typical of that, like, oh, I'm the no-nonsense sergeant, but I've got a heart of gold and I'm looking out for my officers kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, there's... There is, like, a lot of, like, pieces going on in this movie. Like, like if it wasn't just about cars go fast, I feel like I would, like, I don't think the plot in this movie is particularly, like, clear, right? Like, it feels like what's happening isn't, first of all, it's secondary, right? It's secondary to racing. So I think that's mostly forgivable from that, from that perspective. But I also feel like, you know what exactly is happening isn't isn't super clear. And I don't know if I if I hadn't already had experience with the movie, I would have been able to to follow it super well. Just because like is is it supposed to be a surprise that Dom's the guy um, that's pulling off the heist? Like is that what we're supposed to read into the movie? I think the answer is yes, but I don't know I if I ever was surprised by by that. Right um, when Point Break did it. You know, it kind of codified the genre in a way um, where the first person that gets investigated turns out to be this red herring, right? Like this, this also happens in Point Break where 
the the guy that Johnny Utah is investigating is a real shithead, and he's like, oh, this must be the guy pulling these bank robberies, and he is getting close with Bodie's crew in order to, like, get the information that he needs to bust this other, like, this other gang, um... But then it turns out, right, like that that's kind of the, the, the twist, right? Right. Um, that it is actually that it is actually like Bodie's crew or whatever. The thing that's interesting about the Fast and the Furious is that the reveal that Brian is a is a undercover police officer is sort of the like beginning of the second act. And then the reveal that that, you know, it's not Johnny Tran's crew, it is it is Vin Diesel's crew, it is Dominic Toretto's crew that are pulling these heists is the is sort of like the big reveal at the end of the, you know, maybe the midpoint or the end of the second act kind of a thing. Yeah, um, but, but it's not really a review because the, the, the police captain has been telling us it's been Toretto the whole time. Right. She's yeah. Like, you know, um, Brian refuses to believe it because he's friends. And, you know, sleeping with Mia. Um, yeah, it's also one of those things where it's like the movie doesn't have any tension or drama if it's not if it's not Dom, right? Right. Um, so it's just anyone with any kind of story sense in general is going to be able to pick up on that instantaneously, right? Yeah, because like, yeah, because like Johnny Tran or Johnny Tran is dangerous, but he's also like not a super he's like shows up to be a vague villainous force, but like isn't he's not particularly concentrated on right like. I, I actually think this, this this is probably the the weakest point of the movie is that like the movie doesn't feel like it has a ton of stakes out of the outside of the moment to moment happenings on right like it never like we are told that that Brian needs to figure out who the criminal is but like it's not like it doesn't feel like that's particularly urgent or important. Right, like, frankly, if it if it isn't Dom, we don't care, right? Like, because the truckers, mm-hmm. like, the truckers will shoot Johnny Tran, and honestly, that's probably a better, you know, if, if it if it was Johnny, right? The truckers would shoot Johnny Tran, and that's probably a, you know, a you know a dark but better outcome than like the police arresting him or whatever, right? Yeah, like, like I do think that there are real stakes on on the character level, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, when when For Dom sure. says, I, "I'll die before I go back to Lompoc." Right. Like I, you know, like I believe it. Right. Or when, you know, um, when Brian is conflicted about how he wants to handle like Dom and the gang. Right. Like that. I, I, I respond to stakes on that level, but I don't respond to any of the stakes on on kind of a raw plot level. Right. Like who gives the fuck about DVD players? Right. You know, like it is there's no truckers for me to empathize with. So it's not like I really even feel the victim here. You know, um, and, uh, and, and like, there is nothing sort of visceral about the, like, one of the, one of the advantages to something like Point Break is that when you watch them rob the bank, you know, like, they're pistol whipping civilians, right? You know, like, which is objectively a bad thing to do. One of the things that Bodhi does in that movie is he kidnaps Keanu Reeves' girlfriend, right? Um, and essentially, like, holds her hostage. And it's just like, on that plot level, yeah, I'm, I'm engaged, obviously, right? Because there are real stakes and drama to, to the proceedings, right? Um, there just really isn't anything similar because, like, at the end of the day, the only thing that is... Uh, like at stake are are just however many you know dollars worth of merchandise on 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 the on the trucks if anything the the thing that really gets me though is the thrill of it right um something that this movie gets me or something that this movie gets a lot of shit for is that the 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 like people say like oh well 
the the racing is really boring, right? They're just going in a straight line, then they press NOS, and that and that's it. You know, you do a you do a fly through of the engine. It's very uninteresting lame filmmaking right um and i do sort of agree with that right but really realistically at the end of the day the real stunts that are that are happening like the thing that is cool that makes you go like is the is the truck heists right when you're watching them in these streetcars doing you know doing the truck heists um like there's the part where vince you know he gets his arm wrapped up in the thing and they're like jumping car to car you know moving a million miles an hour on the subway i remember when i was a kid and i saw this movie the part where the the car goes under the the trailer that that was like the premiere stunt of of the fast and furious franchise i think that's a genre defining stunt right like i was (laughs) i was actually gonna ask you like is like is this movie the first movie where it happens because like I'm pretty sure, like, I'm pretty sure that it's like a that is like a staple stunt. Um, is you know, like, sedan goes under the the, the trailer type thing, and and you know, yeah. obviously we yeah, we've no, the- that is exactly it. And so I do think the action really works in the movie. It just mm. happens to work on that level, right? And then there's also some other stuff too. Like, I actually quite like the stuff with the cops in the in the beginning of the movie where the cops show up and they break up the you know they break up the street race. Um, and there's the moment where you know Brian picks up Dom. Um, and they're and they're outrunning they're outrunning the cops kind of in the hilly streets around downtown LA. I think all of that stuff works really well. Um, you know, like there's the moment where he sh- shoots off of the, you know, <laughs> he shoots off of the the hill and gets a little bit of air time, right? Like that that kind of stuff. I think is I think is pretty cool. Though it also kind of pales in comparison to the the absolutely insane shit that will happen later in this franchise. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I've, I've heard it turns basically into a superhero, uh, you know, a, a superhero franchise by like the later half that like stuff, like stuff goes off the rails. It definitely does. Like there is to put this in perspective, there's a moment in the eighth movie where the Rock and the Rock's thing, you know, he plays Luke Hobbs in these movies. The Rock's thing is he drives trucks, right? So everybody sort of has their own thing. Um, Giselle, who is Gal Gadot before Wonder Woman, right? She drives motorcycles. Um, you have uh, Brian does imports. Dom does muscle cars, right? And and everybody sort of has their own like specific has their has their own specific thing. The thing that makes the tr- the Rock like the thing that he does is he drives these big trucks right um that are a lot of the times kind of they're almost like armored vehicles right um because he is he is in fact a cop in in the movies there's a part in the eighth eight in the eighth movie where there is a submarine under a frozen lake in russia and they are all driving along the ice and like skidding around and drifting and stuff right um and i believe the the submarine busts out of the ice and shoots a torpedo right and the torpedo is skidding along the ice and at one point the rock is driving his truck but he gets out of the truck and then like kneels next to the truck and he throws the torpedo into another car and it is just like that is the ridiculous shit uh, that ends up happening. The, 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 the thing I will say is that there's a moment in the middle, like Fast and Furious 4, for instance, gets a lot of shit because a lot of the cars are very obviously CGI. That was like in 2006, 2007 era where CGI, like it looks really dated now. Um, and there was a big backlash against that, uh, which is why in the later movies it became about, well, how can we do crazy stunts with cars, right? 
in without over-reliance on CGI, right? So there's a part in the fifth movie where they're doing a train heist, right? And one of the things that they're doing is they are, uh, is, is they like drive a truck into the like into the train car and the truck is hanging off the train car and brian is hanging off the truck he's like about to die right like that kind of stuff all, all of that is practical very good that's that is that is actually very cool um yeah i'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of it i guess um yeah uh so we you, you talked for a while there and i i kind of <laughs> which is totally fine um but um about this movie specifically we're talking about like character level stakes i guess maybe is, is, is a point i don't know you 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 went for a while so i've, I've kind of lost yeah my... what i don't really remember how i got on all of those things but we we did oh i was explaining why they where they became superhero movies basically. right okay yes yeah, yeah, yeah so. yes yes all right so uh i don't know <laughs> <laughs> no, there's like... did you like do the characters work for you like on a basic level do you feel like that there is real chemistry between like dom and brian right um mate like yes but in like that very 90s way of like you know everything kind of just like everything happens because like it is somebody's vision of what cool would look like right like this is like again this is a thing that i, that I identify strongly in hackers right like you know, Johnny Lee Miller is cool because, which is the actor's name, in Hackers, because the movie tells you he is cool, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I feel like Dom and and, and Brian get a, a bit of that. Um, I don't think it's as bad as it is in Hackers. Hackers is very kind of, like, because Hackers is about hacking computers and it, there's not even, there's like not a lot of physical component to that. They have to tell you a bunch of it because showing you is just like vague abstractions of computers. So at least you get to see them being cool, which I'll say is a big plus. Um, uh, but it feels like, it feels like, you know, the movie wants, the movie tells you that these things are good and that you have to take it on faith, which is fine. I just, I just don't know how you, how you'd, uh, how you do it differently. Like, I don't know. I, I, I find this more and more as like I get older is that like movies feel like they're very short and that they don't earn a lot of, of the stuff that they so they do, which I think is fine in this movie because it's like like you know it's an action movie, right? Um, at its at its core. Um, yeah, what is, like there's like, what are? I, I feel like, I feel like that like there's like, like pound per pound, there's not a ton of there's not a ton of actual like racing outside of like the kind of marquee scenes, right? Like like the the only like throwaway race is the um, is the race with the Corvette. On the, uh, uh, you know, when they're driving to a shrimp restaurant, so Brian can interrogate Dom about like the truck thing. I guess uh, I don't know. Like th- this is another thing, right? Like is that like if I turn my brain off, this movie is fine, right? Mm-hmm. But if I ever start to think about it, it's like, did he really drive? Did they really just drive to a shrimp restaurant so Brian could be like, tell me what your secret is? Like tell me how you're making the money. Um, you know, like that, that that scene feels like it was an excuse to do the race, which is fine again. But like, it's just like everything feels very loosely connected to me, and not like super super well. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of um, uh, dissonance in a certain sense between sort of the racing pieces and the heist pieces, because like I do sort of think I think the races are interesting as a plot conceit, right? Um, and I could get more into them, and they do kind of feature better in 
Fast and Furious 2 and 3 specifically, like, those are the ones where street racing really matters, right? Um, but there's also this piece of the heists, right? And I think the heists are where it's interesting, right? Like, the heists are where it is cool. Um, and, uh, you know, the idea that there are just these, they're doing these super high-speed whatever, um, stealing whatever it is they're stealing. That That is the piece of the Fast and the Furious franchise that would end up being the 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 piece that would like outlive the rest of it. Right. Um, so, I, you know, I, fast I, five. I, I, would say, I, I think that's fair, but I also think the heists are like not a huge part of this movie. Right. It's like the, it is like the, the cold open and mm. there's, then there's the one heist and that's basically it in terms of like the height, like the rest of like the kind of like heisty type action is on foot. Right. Like it's them breaking yep. into the various, um, into in, into Johnny Tran's shop, uh, essentially, um, and so that's like I said, it's it's like the heists aren't or just are not a huge huge part of this movie, right? Like, and the race wars, right? Like the race wars are kind of like a dud, right? You, we see the we see two races. We see uh, Dom's girlfriend beat, um, you know, the the sleaze bag, and we see Jesse lose, and, and you know that that serves as an inciting incident. But like, it feels like that's kind of like a back like the they kind of like built like the the build up and like maybe it's supposed to act as a red herring, but it doesn't feel that way, right? It just kind of mm-hmm. feels like you know, like it, it just feels kind of like a misdirect almost, um, and, and not in like it, it feels like that's it's supposed to be something like they, they set the scene, they have this nice set with all these cars, and we get like a race and a half out of it, and that's it, and then and then we're off to like you know doing doing the car heist and the, or the truck yeah. heist, and the truck heist is good, but like they're also not particularly complicated, right? Like. You get a couple cool moves, and then like the shotgun comes out, right? Like, and also at the same time, the 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 core crew is less interesting here. Outside of probably, you know, like the three characters that, or well, the four characters, right? So Mia, um, Letty, and then Brian and Dom. These are the characters that that like truly carry forward into the rest of the, you know, like into like the rest of the series. Um, whereas the other, the other members of the crew are really disposable. The only one who really has any personality, it feels like is, um, is Vince. And there's that, there's that tension between like him and Brian, but even then it's pretty thin. It's pretty, it's pretty kind of, um, it's pretty kind of shallow. So you don't have that same sort of feeling, um, with, with like something like Ocean's Eleven, Right, where every member of the crew has this really beautiful sort of like well put together character and personality that that it feels good to sort of like bump up against, right? Um, you know, any literally any character in that in that film franchise, I could probably just say. I mean, I actually don't know any of their fucking names in that movie. I know that Brad Pitt is named Rusty. That's about it, right? But, like, you you could immediately fill in who the rest of that character is. And they're using an ensemble that is twice the size of the Fast and Furious kind of heist ensemble. And I think that that's a big thing that really, like, hurts the the first movie. Um, compared to the, you know, like, the, the later ones where that family really does come together. And you have these different characters who are, you know, creating different pieces of the puzzle and the ensemble is you know works and has has a good dynamic with one another right um so i really feel it on on that character level like jesse man who gives a shit about jesse <laughs> uh, i i, I th- so i thought that jesse had at least like 
a, a character, like, you're supposed to feel bad for him, right? But, like, yeah. I didn't realize that Vince and Letty were separate characters until, you know, one of them had their arm wrapped up in the cable and the other one was in a car, right? Like, that's the only time I put any... other. I thought, like, dude in a fishnet shirt was, like, this. Like, there's, there's two of them, and I thought they were one character until, like, the, the end of the movie. Um, because, like, you know, again, they're very visually similar, and they, they, they don't really have a lot of character, right? Like, hell, I think even, like, the only thing that separates the two main female characters is the fact that one is Dom's sister and one is the Dom's girlfriend, right? Like, if, mm-hmm. if you know, that wasn't very solid, I could easily confuse them as well, right? Like, I, I don't think they're super distinct characters either. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, M- Michelle Rodriguez is just doing her normal thing of just being like a like a tough-talking, badass kind of thing. Um, but outside of that, I, I, I definitely I definitely feel that. Though I will say, I did like that Mia is just as into Brian as Brian is, in, is into Mia. Um, a detail that I didn't pick up on the first time, but I picked up on this like most recent watch-through, is how much Mia actually like does want to want to get with Brian. <laughs> Which is interesting, because I feel like this is sort of the era of very... Um, you know, this is like American Pie, right? Where, where the the kind of stuff that people make fun of because now we think of it as being very dubious, you know, um, in terms of like consent or whatever, right? Um, and you have these maybe maybe it's sort of like the eighties, right? Where you have sort of these like horn dog guys who are like pursuing women until no becomes yes. It was sort of refreshing that Mia just is into it. You know, she's just on board. So I, I think I think you're identifying a different genre of film. I think this genre of film, the girl is always into the guy, right? And it's more believable in this movie because Paul Walker is kind of cool, right? Like, whereas in Hackers, it's very much the same thing, but, like, it's a hacker, right? Like, mm-hmm. no, like you know, every, like, teenage computer scientist is like, oh, boy, that's what my life's going to be like. And it's not like that. Not like that at all, right? Like, like the movie, have you ever seen the movie Swordfish? I have not. Um, There's a point in the movie Swordfish where Hugh Jackman, who is a hacker, uh, gets a blowjob from Halle Berry and he has to hack into some mainframe in like 90 seconds while he's getting this blowjob. And I just remember thinking like, even when I was a kid, right, like as a horny teenager who that, that scene was probably intended for being like, come on, that's really unrealistic, right? Like... (laughs) Yeah, no, like the the like at least at least in hackers, right? Like it's it's less explicit, right? Like it's more kind of like you know, like you know. Um, so just for people at home that don't know, uh, the main character in hackers was like a kid, like a kid kid who um, who like hacked something, got into legal trouble, and just got out. And like he's supposed to be clean, he's not supposed to look look at computers. But then he gets drawn back into this. And Angel- Angelina Jolie is like the. Um, is like the top dog. Um, she tells him there's like a pool on the roof um, at mm-hmm. their high school, um, and so like, but so like, you know, she's like, she's not initially into him like Mia kind of is, um, but uh, but but you know, she is like there. That is like a is supposed to be like a um, uh, a real connection, almost kind of like um, Trinity in the Matrix, right? Like that's I, honestly, I think if you like crossbreed, when did the Matrix come out? Because I, I need to, I need, I need to like make this thesis right now. 1999. I think hackers splits like it has two children, and one of them is the Fast and the Furious, and one of them is the Matrix. <laughs> um, okay, all right. 
Um, or I feel like the, the 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 only reason we think in those terms, though, I bet hackers has more children than this, just because I bet there's a lot of things that we are forgetting. Like, oh there yeah, are a bunch of forgettable shit movies in here that like didn't spawn massively successful right no and like i don't think it's just you know hackers right like like this genre, like when did point break come out that's that's gotta be i like, was early 90s that was like 91 maybe even 89 91 yeah so okay. maybe maybe hackers is like someone's like we can do computers for point break right like you know <laughs> like this this genre of movie spawns children that include you know the matrix and hat or and um and the Fast and the Furious, and we could also pro- like, I bet you, and like you know, I bet you Blades in there somewhere, which leads to you know the the superhero, you know, which leads Spider Man, which leads to Superman, you know, to um, the uh, the Marvel movies, right? Like, yeah, I I definitely feel that. I think that there's a real genealogy to it. Honestly, I even think that I would probably go so far as to say that there are other sort of crime based things that are built on this this backbone as well, right? Um, for instance. Uh, Breaking Bad, right? Which has a lot of the same sort of tensions that are built into these kind of crime movies from the 90s and early 2000s and kind of crest into, well, actually, what if we took that, but we serialized it into a long-running kind of television show, right? Um, where it is all about the the sort of the revealing of secrets of who is, is allied to whom, right? Um and all of you know, like and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that that, make, that makes a lot of sense to me, right? Like, The Sopranos is probably in there. The Wire, um, yeah, huh? Be interesting to sit down and like kind of like look through some of these hits and see if we could like trace like a real genealogy. Um, yeah, I do like the idea of of it being a genealogy because it, it it is sort of what it feels like. It feels like there of of these movies have a bunch of different kids. And a bunch of different parents, you know what I mean? Yeah. But like in a very complex web of, right, like... Yeah, and I, I, I feel like this is also a thing that, like, doesn't necessarily get a ton of attention because, like, I, I feel like when you're looking at, like, filmic history, you're looking at, like, the prestige films, but this is very much, like, the blockbusters, right? Like, these are the blockbusters yeah. and these are how they filter down through, you know, the 90s into the aughts. Um, and, and, and pe- like, pop culture and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah. That ma- yeah. that makes a lot of sense to me, and it's also because, like, you know, the when it comes to the Fast and the Furious franchise, it is also this kickstarting thing for so many different, you know, careers, right? Um, like we think of The Rock now as the preeminent movie star. There is no there is no person in Hollywood who is movie star material in the same way that The Rock is movie star material. He is maybe the most classic number one movie star you know, since like Will Smith in the, in the two thousands. Right. Um, and that started in, in a lot of ways in fast five, right. Where he is playing and we, we will get there, but he is just playing a completely different character than the kinds of characters he tends to play nowadays. Um, and we can talk about some of this stuff in sort of like the back half, but like I find the rocks kind of persona as he really crests into a big you know sort of genre defining movie star um to be really interesting because the luke hobbs in fast five is just so different to how he shows up in so many of these later you know kind of movies and um and projects and the same thing is true for a bunch of other people right obviously gal gadot is um uh is in here right she starts in fast four that or in in uh Fast Four is Fast and Furious, um, so no articles. And um, 
she would eventually go on to play Wonder Woman. They start stunt casting, you know, they start stunt casting uh, big name, uh, big name movie stars into the, you know, like into the different like kind of members of the family or whatever and then also as the villains so for instance in fast and furious 6 the villain is luke evans who would eventually you know obviously go on to do a million different things the hobbit beauty and the beast stuff like that um in fast 7 is jason statham who well that that one i think is all is is interesting because jason statham sort of brings in his own like movie star persona from this level of movie right into into what would end up being right uh the fast the furious crime crime stuff in f7 and then you know you have charlie's theron you have john cena in f8 and f9 respectively and it's just like the in in the same way that i feel like there are people who are uh, kind of scooped up to be the next Marvel superhero, right? Like Brie Larson or whoever else, right? Um, the same sort of thing happens with uh, with the Fast and the Furious as this as this like cornerstone franchise for Universal Studios. Yeah, no, it's it's funny because you you mention you mentioned Statham, and Statham's kind of like he is already like a Fast and the Furious style like character, right? Like yeah. Like, like, because he has Crank, he has the Transporter, he has the Italian um, Job remake, yeah, which are all right up in there, right? In terms of these, uh, these kind of like big, goofy, yeah. Okay, so Fur uh, and Furious he plays 7. basically the same character in Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, um, which is like kind of his premiere actually, but it's in like a, yeah. a comedy. It's like in a comedy of errors, right? But he's like basically that same character, right? Like, yeah. He, so okay, so 1998, Lockstock. I definitely think that's where he that's where he like shows up. Then he heads it up in the transporter. This is the one that I think is like huge, right? Yeah. Um, is you have the transporter. Then he's in Italian the, in the Italian job. You've got transporter two, and then Crank is 2006. This is kind of like. You know, this is his imperial phase as a kind of headlining movie star. And then you take that and you bring him over into uh, the Fast and Furious franchise from there. And he brings that kind of cultural cachet. Whereas someone like Gal Gadot, I think her kind of like sleek, exotic, you know, like that stuff starts in Fast and Furious and translate out from there. Right. Same thing with the, the you know, same thing with The Rock, where he starts in kind of the 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 fast and the furious is really where he begins to go uh to the next level um and wow did you know there's a fast five video game i don't really want to play this fucking video game you, uh, um, and kind of become his own true blue movie star yeah i i feel i feel like the the fast video game the fast and furious video games are not well regarded um especially as racing games yeah uh, definitely Okay, so, yeah, so Fast Five, what had he done before this in Fast Five? I guess he was in The Other Guys, which was a really great, you know, uh, you know, uh, cameo, but it wasn't, Who? it wasn't like a starring role. Yeah, before this, he's doing shit like The Tooth Fairy, right? Um, or... Are you talking about uh, The Rock? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This I, I'm just looking at The Rock's filmography. He, re he really takes off as uh, in... In Fast Five in 2011, right? You yeah. got cut. You got. He's in the, the fucking Star King? Trek Voyager. That's that's a fucking thing. Sorry, no. It's like I'm I'm looking at it as well. But yeah, no. Like yeah. The, the 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 Mummy Returns as the Scorpion King. I think it's his first like, you know, uh, recognizable like yeah like film film thing, right? Because before that, he's like primarily a wrestling person. Apparently, he's a wrestling person for a long time 
after that as well. Interesting. Um, yeah, and then he's got Doom, um, and like, and then you know, shit like the Tooth Fairy or whatever. But then you watch, then he gets Fast Five, and you're like, oh, okay. Well, all right. Now he's in G.I. Joe Re- Retaliation. Now he's in Pain and Gain. Now he's in Fast and Furious 6. Now he's in that Hercules movie. Now he's in San Andreas Furious 7, right? Like, that. this is where he, yeah. you know, th- this is where he enters his Imperial phase. Yeah, this, this is where he enters his, like, movie star phase. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, interesting, because I, I had thought about it in a different way, right? I had thought that, like, like in my mind, right, like, Tooth Fairy is, like, when he's already burned out his movie star credit. That's, like, super early. I thought, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. But, yes, um, you know, The Rock is, like, the first the first big wrestler to make the crossover, I think. Um, in, like, a real way, right? Like, Hulk Hogan and, and uh, had, had, like, done some stuff, but he never, like, becomes a movie star, right? Dwayne, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is now more movie star than he is, like, wrestler, Right, whereas Hulk Hogan was always a wrestler that occasionally like had a movie. Um, and God, I, uh, are there any other movie stars? That came Cena, out? John Cena. Yeah, Cena. Cena is trying to do the same thing. I think right? I think he's pretty solidly got it at this point. Like I think I think he's like he is still like the ex wrestler, but I think he's like pretty solidly a movie person at this point. Um, Dave Batista is another one actually. Yeah, wow, there's true. a bunch of these. Yeah. Yeah, but but, uh, but but The Rock is like the the vanguard, right? The one that like, yeah, The Rock is definitely the vanguard, and you can tell that John Cena and Dave Bautista are just sort of following, you know, following yeah. suit. Uh, and I don't think that anyone else in this list. I'm I'm just looking. I don't think any anyone else in this list really kind of really comes close. No, you mean wrestlers that have made the the transition to movies. Yeah, you know, like I recognize. I'm not, I'm not a wrestling guy. I recognize some of these names, right? And I'm sure I have seen them, right? Like Roman Reigns. I've definitely seen him in a movie b- before. Um, you know, there there there's got to be more, right? But I just offhand the oh the three that really make it, I think, are uh, The Rock. Dave Batista and John Cena as like true blue movie stars. Yeah, like you you, you get like a, occasional one offs, right? Like Roddy Piper in the was in and they live, correct? Right? Like he's yeah, but like that's like the only thing he ever did. And like you know Andre the Giant maybe gets you know honorable mention, but that's just because he's so big, right? Like he's um he's just like he's like a character actor because he can't be anything else, right? Like the Andre the Giant was never going to be a normal movie star because he's, like, not a... He, he's, like, such an exceptional physical person, right? Like, you know, Dwayne the Rock Jackson at least looks like a big man. Andre the Giant literally looks like a... a, a like, you know, he could be, like, a real-life Hulk, right? <laughs> like, and that's basically what he plays in in The Princess Bride. But, like, you know, like that's a very one-off thing, right? Like, um, Yeah, I think a lot of these characters, like, as I'm looking at them, are very... Um are very one-off characters, right? Uh, like, so, for instance, the Great Kali is a, just a big, huge guy who gets referenced in in an Adam Sandler comedy called, like, The Longest Yard. I get that one for sure, right? Or, um, you know, like, Jesse Ventura is in, uh, is in Predator. He's, like, the, you know, um, he's one of the first guys that dies. He's the guy that says, I ain't got no time to bleed. Um, Kevin Nash, who I actually did not know as a wrestler, but I recognize him immediately as Tarzan from the Magic Mike films because another film series near and dear to my heart, Magic Mike and Magic Mike XXL. I guess that guy was a wrestler, but he's like, you know, he's obviously a, a sort of second fiddle kind of guy um, in in comparison. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, part, part of this too is, right, like, you know, I'm, I'm th- I assume I'm looking at the same article you are, like, 
Randy Savage is the wrestler in Spider-Man, and I don't think I realized that because, like, he is so associated with his gimmick, right, that, like, you know, that, like, he, he, is, not, he is not immediately recognizable as Randy Savage in Spider-Man, right? Like, he looks like a generic wrestler. Um, but that's because his image is so tied to, like, the cowboy hat and the frills and the, and the glasses, right, and, like, the, the speech pattern, none of which he does in Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, uh, Charles says, I look away for two seconds and Mega's claiming hackers led to the wire. Um, more directly, hackers <laughs> led to the Matrix and the Fast and the Furious. That is a stronger claim. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I, I, I do think that there is, you know, and this stuff all sort of sits in, in a genre with um, the rest of it, right? Yeah. So, for instance, um, you know, like, there, there's a lot of these cop movies, like, sort of starting with Die Hard, but then continuing on, like, like Speed is another good example of, um, of sort of, like, a mid-90s kind of just, like, cop thriller. I don't know if, like, I guess we, like, hate cops now or whatever, but, like, I guess you could, you could just make a movie about a cop trying to solve a case, and that was sort of enough plot-level stakes to carry a movie back then. Because, like, really, that's all those movies are. It's just... There's a cop. He's got to do the job, right? You know, whether it's a, a a cruise ship or a bus or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, I I still think you get some of that now. It's just kind of like there's less. Like, it, the thing is, it's it's usually about a detective, right? Like, I I think this is this is I think a thing where like real world knowledge of how things work have gotten has like caught up to like reality, like like. Because of the internet, probably, like, generalized knowledge of how things work has bubbled up into modern society, right? So, like, a beat cop trying to solve a crime, I actually don't think that's a realistic thing, especially in the modern age, just because, like, beat cops don't, like, solve mysteries, right? Like, they, they like, you know, walk their beat and, you know, deal with minor crimes, right? Um, whereas that's a thing for a detective, and detectives are also easy to externalize to the police force. And also that, that lets you build more stakes, especially if it's like a private detective or somebody who's outside the force. Um, that's why the meme was like, you know, like, you know, loose cannon who's like officially discharged, but still like doing his thing. Right. Like he's like if you've got like if you've got the the support of the of the department behind you, then it's a little bit less stakes. Right. Like doing it on your own means there's no backup. Right. And that, that's an automatic stake racer. If you're a private detective, then it's an automatic stake racer. Right. Like, um, you know. Um, what's the other? What's the other kind of? And like, I guess like you can you can think about like um, Blade Runner, where like even though you know um, Deckard is part of the police force, he he doesn't really interact with a lot of other cops other than um, I forget the character's name, but he's the, the one with the the the, the origami uni unicorn. Um, uh, there's like just uh, like, Edward. J I remember his name, but Edward James almost his yes, character. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he yeah, I also think that there's a piece of this that leads to true crime, right? Um, someone once someone once said that like movies like Seven led to shows like Criminal Minds, which led to true crime, right? Where essentially, and I think that that, and to me, that that pipeline seems very straightforward. But the thing that the 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 pipe is made out of essentially the taboo in that in that sort of scenario right because there is something dark and thrilling about the idea of these you know deranged psych psychopathic serial killers right um and i think seven is sort of the first 
of these movies to like really kind of like kick into that. You also Silence of the Lambs is also in there. Silence of the Lambs is actually probably the first, like the real the real starting point for for this kind of like, oh, we're not just making slasher movies. We're not just making movies about Mike Myers or you know or whatever. Michael Myers, Mike Myers, <laughs> about Michael yeah, Myers, baby. and <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, or like for, you know, uh, um, what the fuck is his name in the Friday the Thirteenth? Uh, Jason. Jason. I was gonna yeah. say Freddy. I was like, no, Freddy is Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. You know, like Freddy or or Jason, right? Like these are the prototypical slashers, but they're not really like serial killers, right? But then you get to Hannibal Lecter, who leads into these sort of David Fincher, dark, moody serial killer sort of stories. You know, there's obviously um, Red Dragon is a uh, is like a sequel to that, and, and then you get into stuff like whatever Criminal Minds, Mind Hunter, right? The 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 show on Netflix, uh, which is spectacular and talks about like real serial killers in the interviews, um, that got, that got done with, with those real serial killers. And then you're getting into true crime, right? Where it is about like, well, now I we're producing docs about John Wayne Gacy because the idea of this, you know, criminal clown who is murdering children and burying them in his backyard. Right. is like, that's, that's like the thing. I feel like that is the same sort of pipeline that the hackers, Fast and Furious pipeline is is on. Yeah, I mean, I think another part of that pipeline is also gonna gotta be like NCIS and Law and Order. Um, yeah, just because like you know they, that's like the true serialization of like you know like crime you know monster of the week, but it's like crime a week, right? Like you know type deal. Um, it's just kind of like easy to chew down as kind of like junk food, right? Like it's like oh, and then they solved the crime and everybody was happy. Um, it's interesting too because like. In some ways, it's also kind of, like, coming around full circle and, like, like the fictionalizing of true crime that, like, um, the the Quentin Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in L.A. or whatever it's called. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, that's, Once like... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yes, thank you. Um, you know, that's, like, a fictionalization of a, like, you know, like a, a like a, a deep fictionalization of a real, like, you know, it's, it's almost true crime, right? Like, um, <clears throat> because it describes real-world events, but, like... Obviously, through a fictional lens of like a non-existent movie star, um, eh, interesting, yeah, huh, yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm sure well, we draw all these connections in a lot of different ways. Yeah, I am sure we will. I'm sure we will get into uh, get into the details with the rest of uh, with the rest of these Fast and Furious. Movies how how we like continue so like I think Fast and the Furious is fine. How did it turn into a series? Right, like this is the thing that is going to blow your fucking mind. I swear to God, <laughs> the because like the thing that's crazy about it is all of these movies are reviled until Fast Five rolls around, and then people are like, you know what, these car driving movies are actually pretty great. So <laughs> like, are are they are they are they critically re- reviled but still popular at the box office? Is that like what we're looking? at? Is this like the Transformers yeah. thing where like you know everybody's like. Oh, the Transformer has fucking balls. What a fucking pile of shit. And it makes $70 billion, right? Like, um, is, yeah. is that... But there's that- also... The, the, one of the things that's interesting about the Fast and the Furious franchise is, like, the fans are legitimate and there's no source material, right? Like, the crazy thing about Fast and the Furious is in a Hollywood dominated, right, by sequels, reboots, remakes, right? Like, all or, that or stuff. Or existing properties, right? Or, yeah, you know, adapting comic books, all that kind of stuff. There is no base material for this, right? 
the only base material for the Fast and the Furious franchise are the previous Fast and the Furious movies, which is why it's so crazy when these details come back and get reincorporated. I talked in the pod- on the podcast when I saw F9 and I cried seven times in theaters. It, it was because of all of the throwbacks that like are so lovingly paid to the to the previous installments of the movie, right? Um, of the franchise, I mean, right? Where you know it is it is a movie that cares about itself and the continuity and the series as much as i care about the you know the continuity and the series which i think in a lot of ways is something that a lot of kind of fanboys are when when we're thinking about these properties that is most of the mode that they're in, right? When people complain about The Last Jedi, a lot of those complaints are, it doesn't feel like a Star Wars movie, right? Or they hate that, you know, whatever, Luke throwing the the lightsaber is a joke at the expense of the monumental moment that it should be when Luke Skywalker, right, yeah. is, you know, is approached. It, it feels right? like Which it doesn't is, care about the previous movies. Exactly, right? And yeah. like, I would, and obviously, you know, for the record, in case no one has heard this, obviously I think that is incorrect and it's a misreading of the movie. I think the movie does come down exclusively on a love of Star Wars um, and with a really emphatic embrace of everything that makes Star Wars cool and fun, right? Um, obviously, And, and I will, for the record, say, say I disagree with that. We have... We have several episodes specifically yeah, on exactly, the West right? Jedi. But, but the core, but the core of that is, you know, the thing that made F nine work so well and feel like this return to form was how much it loved and cared about the, you, you know, the preceding movies in the franchise. So much so that it was re-roping kind of all of these aspects, you know, like all these aspects from the pre- previous movies in. But obviously, that's that's way down the line. Now, we'll do Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> Which I have to say, I rewatched Too Fast, Too Furious, and it jumped quite significantly in my ratings. It is a much better film than I remembered on my first time watch, where I thought it was pretty fucking stupid and bad, actually. But now I'm pretty sure number one is my probably in in line of rankings. It is probably my second to last. I think it is the second worst um, of all of the. Of all of the Fast and the Furious, the Fast and the Furious movies, we're gonna have to stack rank these at some point, aren't we? Like we do with yeah. the Marvel movies. I think after I think after every video, we'll just have to show where they are in in our rankings. So obviously, right. we can't do that right now because there's only been the one. But next week, we'll see if if Too Fast, Too Furious is higher or lower than <laughs> the Fast and the Furious. Yeah. So since since we're getting that the back half anyway, next week might not happen just because I am otherwise occupied. And then That's the true. next week is Thor. Blood and Thunder or whatever it is. Love and Thunder. Wow. Holy shit. It is Thor, Blood and Thunder. It, 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 it's, it's Love and Thunder. Blood and Thunder is something else, I think. Like Blood and yeah, Thunder. Yeah, Blood is... and Thunder is a Mastodon album. Okay. It is the it is the quote from Moby Dick. Split your lungs with, with Blood, Blood and, and Thunder. Thunder. Yes, of course. How yeah. can I forget? The catchphrase of, 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 uh, my, of my, my wailing. Oh, yeah, of Ralph. Of, yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. Anyway, we're obviously in the back half. Um... How 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 is your week? How's how's your life going? My life's going pretty all right. Um, what did I what did I do with my week? Um, most importantly, I finished the Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven review by Tim Rogers. Um, no way. All the pieces. Um, so something I wanted to bring up that I think is the the back half of like the last like non conclusion story number six I think story number six um, is a lot about like so there's a couple things here but the one the thing that's important. 
that he's absolutely correct about is he talks about gamer chairs and how like office chairs are better, right? And it's very funny because he or very funny to me because he talks about gamer chairs, one that's probably very much like the one you're sitting in, and he talks about how like the best chair is the steel case, the steel case gesture, <laughs> which happens to be the chair that I am sitting in right now. Um, uh, and he basically is like the way you sell a a gamer chair or a a a uh, an office a steel chase a steel case. Uh, gesture to a gamer is you just sell them the steel case gesture with like a headrest right which is what this is um uh he talks about how like you know a gamer chair now costs about four hundred dollars and like because that has been so beaten into people that's what they expect this chair is like an eleven hundred dollar chair right you can sometimes get them cheaper either on sale um i got mine through a corporate discount um you can also occasionally find like you might be able to find one on like craigslist or something just because like um probably less than LA more in san francisco you can get good office chairs from like companies that are selling off their old stock. Um, and uh, he talks a lot about that, which I thought was super interesting, but I also think he kind of veers into like what I'm going to call like um, almost kind of like a boomer level kind of like nostalgia bait territory um, in that um, like, how, like he doesn't like he talks about how um, about how like, you know, things aren't made like they, like he talks specifically about like, a Japanese clothing company that like faithfully reproduces old bomber jackets um, mm. and stuff like that. Um, and like about how like things aren't made how they used to. And then like um, spoilers for the end of that review um, is, uh, is like he talks about how like season two action button season two is going to be a lot about how um, about how like old video games have done video games better than new video games, which feels to be like a very kind of like boomer trap. And I'm probably going to disagree with him, but I think it's, I think it's, it's going to at least going to be interesting because, you know, you would say a lot, say what you want about Tim Rogers, but I don't think he's ever been uninteresting. Um, but yeah, I've been like, I finished that this morning and I've been digesting it all day because I thought it was super fascinating. Um, yeah. That definitely seems like a boomer take to me. He's also uh, like 42. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I do, I do agree, right? Like one of the, one of my core theses from last week's episode was that that, that era of open world, you know, action games from the, the early 2010s is better than the era that we have now, right? Even though we have so much more kind of like technology and all of these different kind of, um, you know, like advances along the way. And I am typically the guy, like one of the thing, one of the principles that I hold fast to is that humans are fundamentally progressive, right? We are, we are looking to improve upon things, right? Um, and so those improvements kind of come slowly over time. And like a lot of those improvements are things that we would sort of take for granted so for instance um something i brought up in in the past is the idea with something like kung fu panda which has a, a similar plot structure to star wars well star wars start like star wars episode four started with that plot structure of you know uh, an apprentice who is learning under a, like a like a master and then the master fights his other former apprentice right and i would say that the confrontation between shifu and tai lung in kung fu panda is a much better developed much tighter <laughs> version of that story structure compared to obi-wan 
confronting Darth Vader in episode four. But the, the reason that that is, is because there has been 40 years of innovation in how we tell, you know, how we tell these sorts of stories in the meantime, right? This is the standing on the shoulders of giants thing, right? Um, another example might be something like people will talk about Wrath of the Lich King and they'll say, oh, well, this is the best that WoW has ever been. It's like, okay, well, fair enough. But if we were to actually take each individual piece of World of Warcraft and parcel it out, right? And we were to go, okay, well, what about transmog? Do we think transmog is a good system? What about mythic plus? Is mythic plus a good system? What about these different levels of raid encounter design, right? Having flexible design for normal heroic, you know, and then a 20 man mythic raid. Wouldn't we, if we were to go eat piece by piece, right? We would probably say, well, this is better than what we had in wrath. This is also better than what we had in wrath. This is also better than what we had in wrath. Right. And I think if you actually went down the line, most of the, most of the answers to those questions would be, this is better than what we had in wrath. But the, the sum total of the, of that product is shadowlands, which is a, you know, an expansion that is famously reviled by by WoW gamers, right? Um, and you have people coming up on Wrath Classic going, "What? I can't wait to go back!" Right? What? Th this was this was WoW at its best. This was WoW when it was when it was perfect, right? Um, even in the light of all of that, I would still say that the er that that early 2010s era of open world action RPGs is better than what we have now because of all of the reasons that we discussed last week on on the podcast but it is going to be a very very hard sell for me to apply that principle i think to most genres across the board like god that's it's it would be very tough to get me to agree that most video game genres were better 10 years ago 20 years ago whatever yeah i, I i'm i am interested to see where he goes with it because he he, basically, he says that um Basically, the thesis is that like um, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven is like the midlife midlife crisis of video games, which I kind of get, right? But to me, what something he says is like in order to make The Witcher three, CD Projekt Man had to make The Witcher one and The Witcher two, right? And he even says that like Cyberpunk twenty seventy eight, or he kind of alludes to like like that game might be the promise that, that might deliver on the promise or might cash the check that twenty seventy seven wrote, right? And didn't cash, right? Um, and I could see that. Um, I think, I mean, so much, so the, so again, spoilers for anybody who hasn't watched these yet, but his, his, his thing at the end of season one was that season two is going to be games that he already knows that he is, he enjoys. And so he's going to talk about them. Right. Um, and talk about, I guess, some of the ways that the systems really work out. Um, and I'm interested to see that, see all of that. Right. Cause like, I mean, yeah. I, I kind of want to go back and re- um, rewatch some of his his older reviews because like there's a lot there. I just think that like I think I think that some of the things that you're identifying are also kind of like you know what like you talked about this with Total War Warhammer three versus two, right? Where Total War Warhammer two as like a balanced like from a factional balance level was is better than Warhammer three on launch, but Warhammer three on launch has better quality of life features than Warhammer two, so like. Some, some subset of people found them, like, caught in this place where, like, both games are worse than the others in ways that, it, like, it's it's hard to play either one in a way that yep. feel, feels satisfactory. Um, and I think that there's a lot of that that happens, right? Like, I think that's, like, also, like, a, the thing that happens with WoW, right? That, like, you know. Yeah. Um, that, like, some of the, the, the nails they hit on the head in Wrath, like, don't evolve naturally into the current in, into like Shadowlands, but like the quality of life features of Shadowlands make it hard to go back to 
hard, hard to go back to Wrath or, or you know or Classic or anything like that. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, speaking of Total War Warhammer Three, by the way, I want. Speaking of me crying at things that I care about, they released the map for Immortal Empires, which is the full full map, right? For the entirety of like the Warhammer. This is the this is the promised land. Right. Where when we first heard about Total War Warhammer one and how there were going to be two sequels and how those sequels were going to progressively update over time so that you could play all of the factions from all of the games on one giant, massive campaign map. Right. I never in a million years would have th would have thought that we are getting the map that we're getting. Basically, when they released the map, I just kind of kept I kept a tab open in my browser and multiple times during the day, I just came back to it and stood I like I I stared in wonder at this thing. I was just like, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. They should have sent a poet. I cannot believe what I'm getting, right? With the uh, with the Mortal Empires um or I'm sorry, the Immortal Empires map. It includes the tip of Lustria, right? Uh, in Warhammer, in Warhammer Two, famously the Dar the Southlands, which is uh, the Africa map, uh, Nagaroth, which is like North America, and Lustria were all sort of cut off, so that most of the map was the old world from Warhammer One. This is where all of the you know the classics, the Empire. Uh, Bretonia, uh, the Wood Elves, um, the you know the Vampire Counts—all these guys live in that in that section of the map in the Old World, um, and the and some of these like others places were really like cut off. But in the new version of Immortal Empires, all of Lustria is available, all of the Southlands are available, including all of these different little like islands along the way, and it's just. Oh, what a thing of beauty. I can't believe it's happening. I can't believe it's happening. On top of that, they've actually promised a bunch of extra stuff for the Immortal Empires update that nobody that nobody saw coming, uh, but we're all very happy about. One of the big things that they're doing is that they're using this as an opportunity to update a bunch of the older factions from the first game that are not quite like uh, their own, you know, like their own thing with their own playthroughs right so the one that gets mentioned is helman gorst who is a vampire counts lord that i think was a piece of free lc from total war warhammer one and there was just really no reason at all outside of the fact that maybe you would want to play the hardest fucking possible mode you possibly could um there's no reason at all to play helman gorst right it's just it would be a waste of your time basically um I have I've put the Mortal Empires map up on the uh, on the screen in case anybody. Oh, wants thank to you. See. Oh God, I just want I just want everybody to appreciate the size and the grandeur of this thing, right? Um, and so and so they promised that he will be getting updates uh, that certain characters will be moving all around the world, right? Um, another big one is they've promised different start locations so that like if you want to play the one that they. Um, the one that they teased was there is a, there's a character named Lokir Felhart who is a famous dark elf raider, right? His big thing is that he's like he's essentially a dark elf pirate um, who who is on the high seas, and they teased that he's going to start in Cathay, right? And I think that that stuff has a lot of promise and is really interesting. The idea that you know if you want to play the dark elves but you don't want to play the dark elves in Nagaroth where they are you know like historically from and very like based, right? That, that you are going to have these options that are all the way out there um, doing, uh, you know, doing neat stuff. So, 
Yeah, that's 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 super cool. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll jump back in for it. Uh, I, there's there's it's just like it's such a big game, right? Like it's all it's all there. Uh, it sounds it sounds super exciting. Um, yeah. Um, for my part, I went back to Elden Ring. Um, and I've been playing more Elden Ring. Um, it's it's still a good game. Um, although I am feeling it getting along in the tooth. Um, like I feel like when I actually finish this game, I will be happy to, uh, like, I will be done with the game. Um, like when I beat Dark Souls 3, I jumped back in and like played half the game again because I was like so enamored with it. But like there is enough Elden Ring that I feel like I, I will be good with it. Um, part of it is like they're like, like right now I'm out moving through an area that um, is very frustrating and I am not the biggest fan of it. Um, it's called Mikella's Halig Tree for anybody um, watching who knows. Um, it's it's like uh, it's like a cool aesthetic. It's like a tree and you're walking down a bunch of branches, but it is so easy to fall off. Um, and a lot of the enemies are ranged. So it is, it is just like immensely frustrating. Um, so there's that. Um, what else is, what else have I done? I, I finished, or rather the magic season is about to, uh, end and I have made my way through the entire battle pass. So that's, that was, uh, fun. Um, I stick with it longer than I thought I was going to. So, you know, there's that, um, magic, magic, uh, I, I guess I've, I've gotten to a place where like, I'm, I'm, I'm consistently having fun with it, which is, which is good. Um, what else? Uh, yeah. Um, so a thing that I think we also have to do a cast on at some point is my brother recommended, I haven't lost yet is, has recommended R R R to me. Have you heard of this? <gasps> yes, I have in fact heard of this. I have not yet seen it, but I, but Patrick H. Willems famous, famously my favorite YouTuber, uh, and winner of, mm, did he win last year's derpies? I can't remember. He won I've a given, derpies he, thing at some point. Yeah. He has, he has won my, my top spot for the derpies maybe two years in a row. He did like the TCM wine club or whatever. He also has his own movie uh, out that I, that I do want to talk about. But anyway, um, he made a whole video on RRR where he was like, I kind of can't believe that this hasn't broken through and that this isn't like some amazingly huge thing because it is earth shattering when it comes to uh, Indian cinema and uh, and then it got picked up by Netflix right so you can watch it on so you can watch it on Netflix we should do RRR uh, also Charles and Chess says did you do Top Gun already we have not no. done Top Gun Either though one. also I want to though also I'm like what the fuck how Top Gun is the number one movie of the year did you know this. Uh, like in terms of like box office, yeah, I, 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 yeah, 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 it completely blowing my mind that um that that movie is so well regarded and is making so much money and everything else, um, and uh, and I want to see what and I want to see what the hype is about. Plus, just like man, man, I you know talk about classic classic Hollywood actors, right? Movie stars. Tom Cruise is like the guy for being a classic Hollywood movie star. Um, and, uh, and I just sort of have this innate desire, even if I don't like him all that much as an actor, I just sort of always want to see his movies because I feel like they are, they are the essence of what Hollywood movie making is. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel that, especially like we were talking about this kind of like a low knowledge era or rather that like real, real world knowledge is caught up like with like, um, or internet has, has made, um, knowledge catch up, right? Like, there's a lot of those older movies, right? Like, um, 
What's the what's the big? You can't handle the truth. Um, what's what's the name of that? A few good. Oh, a few good men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's the most ridiculous scene. I remember watching that and being like, "This doesn't make any sense. That's not how a legal proceeding works." <laughs> yeah, but like I, most people didn't know that at the time, and I think that's like good enough, right? Like, um, yeah, man, that's like a, that's got to be a whole thing about like how like the internet has like. The, like, we could probably do a whole episode on how the internet has made it such that, like, fat, casual film goers will see what exactly is wrong with your movie in terms of, like, the real-world analogs. Um, yeah. And I do think that there are good examples of movies that do it right. Um, you know, honestly, Francis Ford Coppola did The Rainmaker, right? With the, like, the first big Matt Damon movie. That one, my understanding, is incredibly faithful, right? Uh, I think I watched a, I watched a, a whole episode on that um, from Legal Eagle, uh, who's, you know, just like a YouTuber that deals with, like, law stuff. Um, you know, and, and he's done other episodes. The, the thing, I, he gave an A-plus to the first episode of Better Call Saul because it's just so realistic to what that sort of like down and out defense attorney, you know, like public defender, defense attorney life um, is like in, you know, in the the, the court system. Um, and I do and I do think that there are a lot of good examples. Hot Fuzz would be another one, right, um, of just movies that, that pay attention to and they, they don't take these liberties and they sort of work within the confines of you know, reality or surreality, depending on how you want to define it, um, in order to make uh, in order to make the movies better and more interesting. And uh, yeah, there's there's something there. There's something there. This is like how John Wick has to reload, right? Nobody ever thought about reloading a gun mm. until John Wick, basically. And yeah. now it's like standard. That was that that was actually to go back to our original topic. That was the thing that like got me. Like he shoots that like double barreled shotgun like five times, and then he has to reload, <laughs> and they show and they show like him like fumbling with the with the shells, which is like, yep. Why then? Because the plot demanded it. That's why. Fuck you, right? Like because nobody noticed that stuff, dude. It yeah. was the two thousands. We didn't have smartphones. <laughs> like, oh uh, man. Uh, what uh. What uh? What um? What else have you done with your week? Have you done anything else? Uh, the, I have had an incredibly. Uh, for, okay, so first of all, I need to address this point in the chat. Charles says, "Hey, Mango, if you make it to FF seven, the plane takes ten minutes to take off. It's insane." So what he's referencing is actually not FF seven. It is. Uh, Fast and Furious 6, uh, which is that the climactic, yeah, the climactic thing it takes place on a plane that is always about to take off, and it runs for so long that the runway would have to be, I think, 26 miles in order to properly account for the amount of distance. So... Look forward, look forward to that. Uh, when it comes to my week, I have had an incredibly frustrating and indecisive week where I never fucking know what I wanted to, what, I never knew what I wanted to play. I was constantly just trying to find something to kind of like sink into and I was kind of frustrated at every turn when it came to finding that. Um, I played a lot of games for Akupara, uh, you know, like obviously for, for my job, I was playing a lot of uh, Zoeti and a lot of Astrea, which are two of our upcoming games that I think I've done, you know, like reveals on or whatever. Um, but really the game that I was coming back to the most was Hearthstone, um, which I sort of hated because I found it frustrating. The, the thing that, the, the core thing that, that set me on, on this path was we started playing Overwatch and we were playing a game mode in Overwatch that made me feel 
like fucking dog shit at the game. Uh, we were playing like a like a team uh, like a team elimination. It was like four v four. You know, you just choose whatever hero you want, but it's just team deathmatch essentially, right? Like like Halo rules. Um, and I was just dying constantly. I just could never get any kills. I was dying all over the place. I just felt like I I felt like the worst fucking player of Overwatch in in the whole world, and that was really frustrating. And I was like, I need to get away from this feeling. Let me go play anything else, right? Um, and everything I just tried, I, I I kept bouncing off of. I kept churning, except for Hearthstone, which was sort of worse because. You know, they obviously, they nerfed my Control Warrior deck that I loved so much, but I talked about how I got really into Big Spell Mage. And I am really into Big Spell Mage. It's, it is a very fun and interesting deck. But I eventually found a new Control Warrior build that is actually quite a lot of fun and pretty good. And so I started playing that, but it is not as sort of insane as the original Control Warrior was, the one that, that had just picked up these this bl big blast of nerfs, right? Um, oh, excuse me. And, and so then I was losing games in Hearthstone and I was just like, man, this fucking sucks. I hate it here. I was getting like even, you know, even more frustrated or whatever. Um, until eventually, you know, until eventually I just kind of like got past that, that very frustrated game feeling. And I was, I was playing Overwatch and Hearthstone again without, without too much trouble. The Overwatch mode that we have started playing a lot of, by the way, is called 3v3. It's like 3v3. God, team elimination or something which is a very unique game mode for overwatch essentially what it is is it is three teams um three teams competing uh and when you and it, and it is a best of three like rounds right but when you win on a hero that hero gets locked away so you can't just lock the same heroes every round right so there's actually a lot of um sort of uh mind games around what heroes are are you picking right and when are you popping out you know with with these heroes famously Farah is really insane in this mode because there are some comps that Farah just auto kills for free right if the enemy team isn't carrying like a soldier mccree ash you know widowmaker right like any of these sort of hit scan heroes like what the fuck is a junk rat going to do against a Farah? she's just going to be in in the air the entire time she's going to be plinking away with these rockets Th that's just like the end of that's just like the end of the story and so there's there's all of this these strategies and mind games that kind of like roll around that um and what are the heroes you're playing into any individual um any individual round right like one of the things that we realized was playing Farah into a loss felt good right like it, i'm sorry into a win we when we win we play Farah the next round because it creates this like this momentum. momentum yeah yeah and if you can get the two and if you get the two rounds on on the whatever the first round is and, and then on farah it feels really easy to kind of like clinch out that um that third round but it's just it's a really interesting dynamic and um it honestly is probably more fun than the like geared for 6v6 mode that like overwatch is is sort of designed for um just because like you know Characters that have sustain are really useful. Roadhog is a really powerful hero in that, right? Like, in, in, in conventional Overwatch, Roadhog, his whole thing is he can punish positioning, right? That he is a big, beefy tank, but he's not really going to do the sort of tank stuff that, like, Arisa or Reinhardt are doing. He's not really going to do the dive stuff that, like, Winston or D.Va or Wrecking Ball are going to do. The big thing that... The big thing that Roadhog adds to your team is the ability to catch someone out of position and turn, you know, whatever fight into a 6v5, right? Um, 
And uh, and he's insanely good in this, but like it is less for the catch potential at, and more just from the fact that he can heal half his HP every 10 seconds, right? And just being able to sustain over time. Um, even if he's just landing little pot shots with like his secondary fire on that, whatever, the, the, the shredder gun the shrapnel thing. shrapnel gun, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, well, eventually he'll win on, like, on that basis, right? Um, especially because it's hard to take pot shots against him because if you pop out of cover, right, he can just yank you, you for, for kind yeah. of a burst combo sort of thing, right? Um, and there's a lot of that kind of stuff just for a bunch of different characters, right? Uh, Reaper is really is really powerful in this mode um, because he can he can really chew through a lot of these sort of ground level characters just in a couple of shots, um, and his ability to position around the map is really powerful powerful and interesting right uh, moira who is famously the worst support in like conventional overwatch is actually really powerful in this version of overwatch not just because like she has access to heal but she has access to a really powerful defensive called fade where she can just you know zap like zap out of reality for you know for a second um allowing her to dodge damage it's it's sort of like reaper's kind of cloak form but she also goes invisible for the uh for the duration so there's a lot of like juke potential stuff like that um and it's just a really interesting mode and it has been a very interesting mode uh and i'm weirdly into it it feels very strange that like wow is the game that i am playing the least oh my god i got aotc i forgot about that i got aotc this weekend Congrats. You know, playing playing with people. Um, yeah. Uh, honestly, I actually really, I quite like the Jailer fight. I'm sure we'll talk about this in the not-too-distant future. Um, I quite like the Jailer fight, and it might be my favorite of the end boss fights in Shadowlands. Because um, I, I famously did not like Denathrius. I thought, I thought Sylvanas was okay. I also sort of think, you know... I also sort sort of think that the the jailer is okay, probably worth worse than Nazoth was in um, in eight point three, um, but better than most of the you know a lot of the other end bosses. He's you know top two or three um, for me uh, for me up there. So yeah, it's weird. It is weird that WoW, which is the thing that we talk so much about on the podcast, um, is not is is so far below what I'm what I'm looking to play at the moment. Yep. Um, so the other things I gotta contribute is I started Rise of Endymion, which is the third book in the Hyperion Cantos. Um, very good. I'm going to recommend that again just because, like, I like I'm only partway through um, Rise of Endymion. I still think it's great. Um, um, and the other thing, I just, something I want to talk about WoW very briefly is like I have been engaging with like the WoW auction house market a lot more just because like. I start like I used to just like kind of like undercut and sell whatever stuff I pulled out, but like now I've started like engaging with the market a little bit more clearly now. And part of that is like there's like just like the numbers on this market as compared to like a real stock market, right? It's like I'm like, oh, there's like few enough things here and I've got enough gold that I can like be a market maker in some places, right? So like right now, I'm just like constantly buying and relisting nightshade just because I have like enough of it. Um <clears throat> and so I'm like trying, I'm like, you know, I'm trying to force this because like, I've got like, I think I've got close to like 4,000 nightshade that's like, I'm trying to force at this higher price because I want to make back that money. And I've already sunk like 50,000 gold into it, which, you know, <laughs> n- not a ton of money for all things, but that's like, what, like uh, a fifth of, of all the gold I have right now. And so it's like, I'm just like constantly trying to... Because, like, it's, like, selling somewhere, like, I'm trying to sell at 25 gold, and, like, the equilibrium seems to be around 18. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just tr- constantly churning that, trying to trying to keep to keep that up. Um, 
Uh, and if you, like, you know, hey, it, it is a good it is a good herb to do it with, right? Because it is used for um, all of the all of like the flasks or whatever. Like the secret to cornering a market is essentially you need demand to be high enough that you can constantly pull off the bottom end of the supply. And for every, you know, like for every 18 gold nightshade you buy, you are selling a 25 gold nightshade in return, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the danger of, of trying to corner a market is you are buying too much at below below that margin and you start losing, you know, like you start losing money on uh, on that prospect. Um, I've definitely done a lot of that with, with legendaries over the course of the... Over the course of the season, I mean, I I have weirdly made. I mean, I've made a gazillion. I've gold capped a, a ton of times at this point off of There's a gold uh, cap? off of the legendary. Yeah, so any individual ca- character can only have like nine million nine hundred ninety nine thousand really? gold or whatever the number is, right? Yeah. So um, yeah, there are times where I will I just can't get any more gold on Baron, so I have to send a million gold to another you know, another one of my characters just to, just to kind of hold it. Right. Um, and I am now at, I think 16 million is the, is the number. Yeah. I'm at 16.1 million, um, gold. And I have sort of stopped really engaging. I have my stock, like I'm still sitting on a big stock of legendaries. Um, and I just sort of relist them every day, but I'm not doing all the undercut games I used to. Um, I'm not really building new legendaries to sell, um, for, you know, whatever the margins are just because, uh, you know the time. Who 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 has who has the time when you got sixteen million gold? <laughs> yeah, no. My my big thing is is I buy I buy mog, right? Like, but I also like bargain hunt mog. It's like like earlier today I got like a piece of mog for twenty five gold, which is like unheard of at this point for me. Like like minimums were like about a thousand for me at this point. Oh, like wow. I, I bought out all like the cheap stock, so yeah, you know. Um, but like mog is like a very weird market because like you know everything's very highly individualized, right? And also, like, there's not a lot of movement there. So if you're patient, people will get frustrated and be like, I'm releasing this for 500 gold. I'm like, yes, now it's mine. Or, like, occasionally people will, like, put, like, a bid price instead of just a buyout price on it. And, like, you know, it'll be like, oh, I'll put the bid price at 300 and the buyout at 1,000, right? And then, like, I'll just bid 300. And, like, without exception, I will win that auction just because, like, no one's no, – no one really seems to be hunting Mog, at least on our server, at least, you know, to the same degree that I am. But. Yeah, one of the nice things about our server is that uh, it is so small that it's pretty effortless uh, to to sort of pick pick this shit up. Yeah. Um. So yeah. yeah. Well, that's everything with my week. Do you have anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up? No, I think we're I think we're good. All right. Well, if you'd like to uh, email us about anything we talked about this podcast, you can reach us at somedersplaygames@gmail.com or podcast at somedersplaygames.com. You can follow us at um, twitch.tv slash somedersplaygames where these go out live. Um. Uh, we've got a Patreon We're on every podcast service. Feel free to rate and review us. That's everything I have. Buddy, you have anything else you're looking to promote? You know, uh, I don't... I have a little bit to promote. Uh, this week, I will be playing a little bit of Absolute Tactics, right? One of our upcoming games. Uh, it is a it is a tactics RPG. Um, I'm going to be playing that on the Akupara Games stream, so twitch.tv slash Akupara Games. And it is also Movie Night, where... The the Aquapar Games Discord vote votes on what are the what are the movies and um, this week I dodged a bullet because of the of the movies that went up for for voting it was The Road to El Dorado, Atlantis: The Lost Empire, Song of the Sea, and Morbius. And these motherfuckers wanted me to buy Morbius so bad. 
Uh, but luckily, there was a tie between Morbius and the road to El Dorado, so I have mercifully <laughs> been granted reprieve from having to show Morbius as an Akupara Games movie night movie. Um, and we're going to be doing that at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. So Nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, also, just because I noticed it as we were loading in, you can get gone viral as part of, like, Prime game gaming thing. And that's a game that I hardly recommend with, uh, you know... Less, you know, obviously Buddy's my friend and Buddy works for Akupara, but uh, I, I recommend it with as much independence as that implies. So, yeah. Yeah, there's a small thing in there. If anybody if anybody is looking to use, Gun Viral has a bunch of Twitch functionality, like direct Twitch integration. That stuff is only in the Steam version of the game. Um, but, you know, if you, um, if you send me an email about it uh, or, like, ping me on Discord about it. Uh, Wait, are can, you are you telling me you that Gone Viral's Twitch functionality doesn't work with the Twitch copy of the game? Uh, yeah, basically. Well, the Twitch copy of the game is so it's it's about how the integration is built. It's very it's a very dumb, complicated like I'm development sure. answer. Um, when oh god, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this stuff. I, right, I'll, I'll you know what? Don't that. don't worry about it. I yeah, I'm sure there is a perfectly good reason for it, but on its face, that is ridiculous. You, you understand that, right? Like the, the Twitch comedy. No, I do. I I get it. I get it, buddy. Let me tell you, I fucking get it. It's funny. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, before I cause Buddy any HR problems, we're going to sign off. Uh, I'm going to say until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.